first episode of the A to Z of Men's Health. My name's Tony Shebecki and it's great to be with you here on Good Health Radio, Australia's dedicated web radio health information service. This show is going to look at everything to do with men's health, from the A of acne to the Z of zoster and everything in between. This week we speak to a man who has run a marathon across the Antarctic. You may know him as one of the scared, weird little guys. His name is Rusty Bertha and he'll speak to us shortly. Our program dietitian Ola Lutzak will talk about diets. Are they good for you or are they bad? We'll find out later when we catch up with her. We also catch up with the founder and CEO of the men's health organisation called The Male Hug. Tony Rabber will speak to us about the success of Talktober and tell us all about The Male Hug. It's a massive show coming up, so let's get straight into it. And we're really honoured to have a special guest talk to us, a guy that's done something really, really strange. We're going to talk about that shortly, but a lot of people have run marathons, but I don't reckon many people have run a marathon like this bloke has. His name is Rusty Bertha, and he joins us now for a chat. G'day, Rusty. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, Tony. Hi, everybody. Uh, You're a comedian and a musician by trade. That's right. For uh, many, many years, Tony, I've been... uh, working in a group, a duo called the Scared Weird Little Guys, um, which started a, a long time ago. We kind of finished about 10 years ago, but we still get around a little bit here and there. There's plenty of stuff on on YouTube if anyone wants to look it up. And, and uh, I've, I still do a lot of stuff in the you know corporate world and cruises and comedy clubs and stuff like that these days. So music's been very much a part of your life for, for a long time since you were a kid? Music, very much. I grew up in a musical household. My mum was a, uh, a country singer in Queensland in the 60s. And uh, I grew up playing a lot of music with her and my sister also. And I've been in bands. My, my uh, goal was to be a bass player in a rock band. That's all I wanted to be. But um, found myself in Melbourne and singing in a cappella groups and then started the comedy stuff um, a bit, you know, alongside that. So we do musical comedy. That's what the Scaredies did, you know, messing around with styles of music and, and doing parodies and stuff like that. And you probably know as well as anyone just how good music is for the soul. And I suppose nowadays with all the things that we've all been through for the last uh, eight or nine months with COVID and the like, uh, you'd probably be encouraging people to sort of listen to music just to sort of soothe the beast. Definitely listen or play. I know a lot of people have been learning how to play an instrument. And this is a good opportunity for that. I really miss playing with people. Um, I st- still do for fun. I have a couple of bands, old timey country sort of bands, and and I really miss playing with them. Even just sitting down for a jam with people—that's one of my favourite things to do. And and uh, we actually on the weekend got out and did some, took some ukuleles to a park and sang with my sister and brother-in-law, and that was incredible. It's amazing how much you do miss it—that social interaction yeah. and the music's very important. Yeah, it certainly is. Now, running, how long has running been a part of your life? I got into running late, Tony, um, only after I turned, uh, you know, 40. I never was much of a runner. I was into roller skating and rollerblading and stuff like that. But started running, um, yeah, so that was about 10 years ago um, and just took it up because we got a new dog and then found that that was a really – good thing that suited me especially the long distance stuff so I started doing a few fun runs and after a couple of years did uh, the Melbourne Marathon and um, did two of those and then came that led on to the uh, the Antarctic Marathon that was the yeah, third so that, one I did. So that's what we want to talk about predominantly today because that just seems an amazing thing to have done so a 42 kilometer trek yeah. along the Antarctic tell us about that and first of all, let's start off with the preparation and the months before heading overseas. Well, um, I knew it was going to be difficult. And from reading about people who'd done it, it, you run it on snow. It's not on ice. It's run on a big glacier in Antarctica. And um, so they equate it to running on very soft sand. So speed is not what you're aiming for in a, in a marathon like this. It was about uh, I, once a week I did a run from Port Melbourne down to Brighton and back uh, on the soft sand to sort of prepare for that. Otherwise it was just trying to get as fit as, as possible. 
I, I was just, funnily enough, nursing a, 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 a toe injury that year. So I could only run three times a week leading up to that. So I did heaps of uh, fitness stuff in the gym, like aerobic stuff and um, that kind of thing. But otherwise, it, you know, it, it wasn't that different apart from the, oh, the, the running on the sand. Well, I did run in a freezer a few times to, to test oh. out the gear. So I, I went out to running this giant. Hey? Running on the spot in a freezer. No, no, no. Running. I went out to this big industrial freezer complex in the eastern suburbs, and they and I ran around and around this uh, <laughs> this these pallets full of frozen peas and frozen fish and stuff like that. But I, that was a, a a way to test out the gear. Um, and but apart from that, it was just yeah, running on the 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 soft sand was to try and get used to to that. But otherwise, I don't know what else you can prepare for apart from having the correct gear. Yeah, exactly right. And so you've run, as you said, a Melbourne marathon, and normally the Melbourne marathons are running fairly decent temperature, probably you know yeah. twenty mid twenties around there, even sometimes a little bit cooler, but yeah, pleasant. So what yes. temperatures were you running in on the Antarctic? Um, on the day we did the marathon, it was minus 15. Wow. But we were lucky because it was not very windy. Now, I'd seen footage of the year before and it was quite windy and that drops the temperature way down very quickly and makes it very difficult. Uh, we had sunny conditions. It was actually, it's, it's sunny 24 hours a day in mm. Antarctica at that time of year. And um, so even though it was 15 below, it, it wasn't too bad. Like if, and actually if you were running into the sun, it was quite hot. You were trying to managing your clothing was quite tricky. Like I had, you have three pairs of gloves on, um, you know, kind of two skivvies and an outer layer, you know, super tights, running pants, three pairs of socks. Um, and, and, and once the sun was on you, you'd actually get quite warm. I'm stripping gloves off and got my jacket off and stuff. And then you'd sort of turn a corner and the sun, you'd be in the shade and you would instantly freeze. And you're just like trying to get all your gear back on like that. So the management of that um, temperature was probably the trickiest thing rather than the temperature itself. 15 below, I mean, it's cold, but it's not that cold. Like a few times yeah. it got to 30 below while we were there. That was cold. You know, yeah, acclimatization really obviously would be a big part. I would have thought too. How many days before the run were you actually on there? You, they try and keep it as as quick as possible. You you fly down to the interior to this camp, um, and we were probably there only two days, maybe three. It's it's difficult to tell with because it's. It's 24 hours, something like, it was about three days. And then there were two more days there. So we're only really in the continent for five days. In regards to the camp and the conditions there, what were they like? Were they just massively warm tents? Not massively warm. Um, I've, I've included some photos for you there. They were little dome shell sort of tents. The temperature inside them was about zero. So really quite comfortable. Pleasant. Um <laughs> And then there was only, uh, I think like, like Quonset huts, or there was three of those. It's a temporary camp. It's only gets set up for about three months of the year. And it wasn't warm. There weren't, there certainly wasn't heaters blowing, um, but you weren't, you know, cold uh, all the time. They're super duper sleeping bags and things like that. And you'd sleep in, in lots of clothes as well. So uh, everything, when you go to Antarctica, has to be taken back to the mainland. This was based out of Chile in South America. Yeah. So everything, food scraps, all the waste, all the toilet stuff, it's basically <laughs> giant big plastic bags. Everything needs to get taken back. Nothing is left on um, in that pristine environment of Antarctica. So Antarctica's the South Pole. Correct. Any, do they do anything like this in the North Pole as well? Yes, or is that, the, the, yeah? the guy, Richard Donovan, who organises this ice marathon, he's done about, uh, I think I did the fourth or fifth one. He's, he's probably up to about 12 or 13 now. He also does a North Pole marathon um, that a few of the people that I met have have done. And that's interesting because the North Pole, there's no land there. It's, it's all ice, mm. so it's very... Uh, reliant on the the nature of the sea ice at that point and it's apparently much much colder and you've got to have guys with rifles there in case polar bears decide to 
chase after people, but Antarctica has no polar bears. So no, you probably would have only had uh, what king penguins or something the, chasing the you. penguins. But we were so far south, there was no living thing. Okay, so th- that was an interesting part about being there. Tony was the silence. It was in. It was a silence like you can't describe. Now, you, you would know you've been in a sound studio where it's dead and quiet. Yeah. That's one form of quiet. But to be there out in the open and it's so silent, that it's something you don't really notice. And it was sort of a day in, I was going, what is it about? And I went, Jesus, it's so quiet. And you could, you could hear people talking because of the cold temperatures and the ice. You could hear people about at least a kilometre away just talking normally. Yeah, um, and that's and there's no no trees, no birds, no cars, that kind of thing. The mentality of doing a run like that, the, the preparation first of all, mentally, did you have to really psych yourself up to get ready for this? Um, well, any marathon is is kind of like that. Um, the it's it's I've always found it good to have that goal in the distance. You know, you sign up for it. It's six months away, and then every time you get out the door and do a training run, you're thinking about it. It helps you actually keep your uh, your training up because you go, oh, I've got to get that, and I've got to get fit enough to do this marathon. During it, it becomes way more mental. Yeah. Um, because I find in in the regular marathons, you reach a point where you, your brain, this is like, I call it a good rusty and a bad rusty and the bad rusty will just go, what are you doing? Just stop, just give up. You're not an athlete. Just no point, no point. And then the good rusty will go, come on, mate, you've trained for this. It's going to be fine. You're going to get through it. And then bad rusty will go, uh, don't be stupid. Just stop, just walk. You're going to hurt yourself. No, that's so that's a, a battle. And, and the Antarctic one was quite different. It was much longer. Usually I'd, I run a marathon in about four hours. This took me six hours. Um, and by the end you had to, I was, I was, you know, picking, there was flags along the course. So I go, okay, I'll run to that flag. Then I'll walk to the next one, run to the next one, walk to the, you know, and, and, you know, there's no giving up out there because, and you'll yeah. see by some of the photos, you're in the middle of nowhere. They, they had one aid or two aid stations, but, um, it became very tough. Also, unfortunately i had got very ill the night before we left for Antarctica. I actually mm. got food poisoning. Oh, the worst I'd ever had. So instead of carb loading and preparing like that, I was kind of carb purging and uh, it, it, I was fairly weakened for, for it anyway. So that added to the kind of pain, but then that was balanced by the, you know, the setting that you're in, you're in Antarctica and you yeah. just go, look at where I am. I didn't care if I dragged myself around by my fingernails, you know, I was going to, I knew I was going to do it. The other thing too with the marathon, uh, not that I've run one, I, I actually started one. I was in a Frankston to Melbourne Big M marathon many years ago. Yes. I think I was 17. My parents lived in Aspendale. Uh, my grandparents lived in Aspendale. So I, I popped into their house as part of the marathon just to get a drink and never came back out. So <laughs> I don't know exactly how you feel, but on a marathon, you can normally pace yourself. You can normally watch other people and, and run alongside them and, and yeah. sort of say, right, I'm going to run with this bloke for a while and, and use his pace to keep me going. There was only 100 people, though, that did this marathon. So I presume you would have been fairly spread out and that may have been a bit harder. Well, it was um, interesting how quickly we did spread out. Uh, and I ran most of the race with no one else. Uh, you know, early on, you might have overtaken a pe- few people, but everyone kind of found their pace. And uh, the interesting thing about Antarctica, Tony, is, is the, the distance. It's very difficult to judge distance. So you'd sort of, it's very bright and you've got goggles on, but you're looking at it and you're going, what is that? I think I can see the aid station in the distance. And you go, oh, no, it's just a flag yeah. 20 metres ahead of me, you know. And, and you, you, so that was kind of uh, putting off, but you just... It was a track in the snow. You weren't going to get lost. So I know I'm heading that direction. So that's, you know, so that wasn't too, too tricky. And I wasn't worried about pace. I was just, that was all about the experience and finishing it. I wasn't going for any time, especially having been ill. Um, Rusty Bertha is with us from the scared, weird little guys. So it would be fair to say that you were a scared little frozen guy for a while. I was a scared weed frozen guy, which funnily enough is the, uh, I came home and wrote a book about it. Um, (laughs) I've got a few copies in my garage still. Uh, The reason why I chose to do that thing in Antarctica was the 
it was the end of the scare with little guys and I kind of had to, I wanted to pick one big, difficult life kind of experience to do. And, and that sort of ticked all yeah. the boxes for that. The affiliation with running, where did that start? Was it a, was that a midlife crisis thing? Or? Yeah, probably a bit like that. Like I said before, we got a new dog and I, and I was had this, this friend who's, um, shop I was renting a room into for the scaredies and and I knew she was into running so I started talking to her about and I knew she did fun runs and I thought oh that's a bit weird and then I just one day sort of I thought oh maybe I'll just run a bit with this dog and and then thought oh that was pretty fun and uh and then talking to her a bit more she got me into the fun run so I just found it and I still do it now I love running it suits me some for some reason more than cycling you know a lot of dudes get into cycling at this yeah. age but that's not my thing I, I like the long slow running do you find it cathartic or do you just spend that time when you're running and i presume you run every day now just sort of thinking to yourself and just really going through your head yeah it is it's it's interesting i, I don't find that you can solve like the world's problems or your own problems or anything, I find the thoughts just flow as, as you're running, you just go from one thing off to another. And, and it's something that I enjoy. I don't often listen to music while I'm running. Yeah. I'm just happy to do it. Are you a visual person? Do you try to take in all the sights while you're running? Uh, well, for quite a few years, I was living down in the Otways outside of Melbourne and I did most of my running on, on bush tracks and, okay. uh, uh, I enjoyed that very, very much. As long as you stay away from the tiger snakes, uh, <laughs> but in the city, I'm I'm still happy looking at houses and going to parks. And you know, you have five or six different routes that you that you do depending on how um, far you want to go, and and different. Yeah, but it's nice to look at stuff. Hey, Rusty, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Congratulations on what you've achieved. And is there another big run in the wind? Uh, well, you know what? Next month, I was all signed up to go and do the uh, the rock and roll marathon in Las Vegas oh, wow. on November the tenth. I was going to be doing that, but that ain't going to be happening. And um, that oh. was going to be my next uh, marathon. So I don't know when the next one overseas might be, um, or even an organised one here. But it it is very helpful. I find to lock something in six months away, eight months away, just yeah. helps get you out the door. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks for your time, Rusty. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Tony. Good on you. That was Rusty Bertha there joining us here on the A to Z of Men's Health right here on Good Health Radio. And welcome back to Good Health Radio. Tony Shebecki with you with the A to Z of Men's Health. Time to introduce our program dietitian. She is an accredited sports dietitian who's worked with the Melbourne Victory and the St Kilda Football Club and has been involved in the AFL's Accelerated Elite Performance Program. She's also been involved with swimming, triathlon, tennis, ballet and currently works at the Maribyrnong Sports Academy. Ola Lutzak joins us on the line. Hello, Ola. How are you? Hi, Tony. I'm really well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us and for agreeing to be our dietitian because when we talk about men's health, diet is such an important part of any healthy person. Absolutely. Look, definitely. It's, it's something that, um, you know, I think that everyone, you know, needs to be focusing on their diets and, and always coming back to it. I mean, I'm a dietitian and I'm constantly reassessing my own diet and seeing what little areas I can improve on or what, you know, poor habits might have crept in. So, um, yeah, it's definitely something that impacts our health, our overall well-being. So something we need to stay on top of for sure. It's diet's pretty easy when you when you come down to it and and we've known each other for a long time so you know my trials and tribulations with diets very well but pretty much when you when we talk about diet what you put into your body is what you get out so if you put good food green vegetables and fruit and meats and all that sort of stuff and nuts and everything you're gonna have a fairly good life if you put processed food fast fatty foods hamburgers, chips, all that sort of stuff, your life ain't going to be as good. It's just a, it's a proven fact, regardless of whether it's this diet or that diet, at the end of the day, it all comes down to what you put into your body. Look, that's very true. And I think 
Keeping it simple is important. And we know that, you know, I guess we all know what we should and shouldn't be having. I guess it becomes a little bit more complex when we look at the individual um, because there's so many factors that determine what we eat. It's not just about our nutrition knowledge and what we, we know we should have, but so many other factors come in, you know, in regards to lifestyle and life stresses and, you know, preferences and, you know, different habits that we form, you know, right from a young age. So absolutely, it's it's um, simple in theory, but becomes a lot more complicated when we put, you know, human nature into it. There's no doubt. Now, we're focusing on a program about men's health, but diets can be fairly generic, can't they? A, a diet doesn't stipulate whether it's for a male or female. And I presume that men and women need different amounts of food and, and different foods to function properly. Mm, absolutely. Uh, look, you know, I think there is this concept that we all should be following this one particular diet. And absolutely, there are certain themes that, you know, we should probably all be striving for. But at different stages of our lives, you know, depending on whether we're male, female, you know, whether we're adolescents or elderly or you know, what medical conditions we might have all determine our nutritional requirements. So everybody does really need a unique, you know, you know, way of eating. But um, I guess there are general guidelines we can all follow. And then we might just need to adapt, you know, our eating to suit our particular circumstances. And I guess that's what I do as a dietitian. I, I look at those individual circumstances and I try and tailor a diet to suit specific individual needs. Well, we spoke about generic diets. I mentioned them before. There's a lot out there. What are your thoughts on all those diets that you can get your hands on via either the internet or go to your local bookstore and there'll be a whole shelf full of books on diets? Your thoughts on all those? Oh, isn't it incredible just how much we're bombarded with all these different diets? And it's been decades now that diets keep coming and going and, you know, they stick around for a little while. And one moment we're all, you know, eating a, a, a high protein diet and the next minute we're, we're eating a, you know, a low fat diet and then a low sugar diet and then an intermittent fasting diet. And there's all these different diets that are thrown at us. And I guess one thing that I think we need to keep in mind is that a lot of these diets are driven by marketing companies. So it's not necessarily something that's, you know, usually evidence-based or yeah. recommended by health professionals or, you know, doctors or dietitians, you know, it's, it's people that are trying to sell you something. So we, we need to be a little bit careful when we're confronted by all of these diets that I, usually promise to to provide pretty drastic and pretty incredible results no exactly right but having said that though there are pros and cons to these diets there's no doubt about that and I, from what i've learned over the time of trying to do different things and the like if you can take a little bit from here and a little bit from there and and adjust that to your body at the end of the day you can come up with a pretty good diet I 100% agree. And when we look at a lot of different diets, we find that certain things work for certain people and they don't work for others. And we see that really across all the, the whole spectrum of diets. So it is something that we do need to, I guess, pick and choose what is going to work for us. And you mentioned some of the, the pros and cons. So I'd love to look at some of the, yeah, let's do that. You know, the pros and cons of, of some of these diets. And you know, I guess starting with the pros, I don't have a long list here. <laughs> um, when it comes to these, you know, these short-term fad diets, generally they, well, they're exactly that. They're short-term. Usually we can get short-term results. So usually that's directed towards weight loss. And people do lose weight if they're restricting their intake, following, you know, a, a strict set of rules. But, and sometimes with that comes, you know, a lowering of blood sugar levels or cholesterol levels or things like that. But if we look at the overall pool of diets that, you know, when we look at, I guess, a meta-analysis or a, a whole host of these studies that have been done on diets, we see time and time again that majority of people actually don't sustain the results longer yeah. term. 
Um, and that is the that is without doubt the hardest part. It's it's quite easy to lose five or six kilos in you know in six weeks or seven weeks, whatever that may be. Considering that normally the first two or three kilos is just fluid loss. And then if you're doing a little bit of exercise in there, well, that'll be the other two or three kilos. And I always laugh when I see these marketing companies come on with, you know, we guarantee you'll lose up to 10 kilos in the first five weeks. Well, so what if you lose one kilo, that's it. You've, they've done their job. That's it. And, you know, they're not really setting us up for long-term success because they're not teaching us long-term habits they're teaching us something that's very short-term that usually we can't stick to usually we fall off the wagon and then we blame ourselves um you know usually regain the weight and then we cycle on to the next diet so it is something that um i guess that's a really major con that often they're not sustainable they they can be overly restrictive um, unfortunately, in my work, I sometimes see quite detrimental health effects. So we know that the more somebody follows these fad diets, it can actually lead to poorer mental health. So higher rates of depression, um, because they're not necessarily nutritionally balanced, it can lead to poor bone mineral density or you know, higher rates of osteoporosis. We know that people that diet frequently have increased you know, rates of eating disorders. So you're 18 times more likely to develop an eating disorder if you diet frequently throughout the year, which is um, obviously, you know, you know, something that we really need to, to consider in all of this. When um, we talk about eating disorders, a lot of people just think of bulimia and anorexia and the like, but eating disorder is also the other way as well, isn't it? When you're obese and morbidly, more, more, yeah, you know what I Morbidly. mean. Morbidly, yeah. Morbidly obese, that's the absolutely. word I was looking for. Uh, absolutely. That, that also is an eating disorder. We do. We, we think of eating disorders as, as being that really malnourished looking individual yeah. on, you know, on the street that we might see, but that's actually a very small percentage of eating disorders. And majority actually, you know, eating disorders don't discriminate. You can be in a larger body and absolutely be dealing with you know, years and years of eating, you know, disordered eating patterns, sometimes before even reaching out for help or anybody noticing. So it's definitely something that, you know, is is affecting a lot of males, not just the female population. And it's a lot more prevalent than than people realise. I jumped so, in when you were talking about the pro, uh, the cons there. Sorry, you mm -hmm. gave us one. Are there any other cons that we should be aware yeah, of? Definitely. So, um, you know, I think for males, one thing to be aware of that sometimes overly restricting the diet can not only lead to poorer mental health, but restrict um, or decrease sex drive. It can reduce the resting energy expenditure of our bodies. So that means that it lowers our metabolism, which makes it harder for us to actually, you know, keep weight off, I guess. Um, and mental functioning, we know it can impact, you know, reaction time, poorer concentration levels at work, you know, increased irritability. Um, it can have, yeah, some really detrimental effects on our short-term and long-term health sometimes. Are there parts of the world, and, and the world is made up by so many different people and so many different cultures, are there people in this world that don't diet and have long, healthy lives? Look, Tony, have you heard of the Blue Zones? Uh, I've heard of it, yeah. Mm. There's really interesting research where people have followed... So there's five areas of the world that they call Blue Zones. And they're areas of the world that we know people live longer lives. So generally they live about eight to ten years longer than the, you know, the rest of the population. Yep. And they live happier, healthier lives. And what people did was they, you know, researchers looked at what they were doing and it was really evident that they weren't following strict diets, they weren't calorie counting, um, they had some general things in common, but there was no one strict set of rules. Um, and if, if you'd like to hear it, I'd love to tell you what some of the... Please. 
the things, you know, I think it's it's good to learn from these areas of the world where they're really being quite successful with their, their health and overall um, longevity and happiness. So I guess they, they all had quite a flexible eating pattern, but the main thing it came down to was they were eating whole foods. Okay. So they weren't eating a lot of processed foods, um, mainly whole foods, largely plant-based diets. So in the having, whole foods, is that grains and the like? So all of our food groups, but, okay. um, you know, minimally processed foods. So as you mentioned before, it's our fruits, our vegetables, nuts, grains, seeds, legumes, you know, it, it, kind of a Mediterranean style diet. Yep. Um, so, but different parts of the world had different, different, I guess, you know, slight, slight differences. So one area, for example, ate a little bit of red meat but it wasn't a staple of the diet. It was mainly centered around whole, you know, fruits, vegetables, grains, nuts, seeds, a little bit of meat. Another part of the world, you know, had a little bit of fish. Um, I guess, you know, a, a one area closer to Japan focused a lot on tofu, but really it came down to them eating whole foods um, another thing they did was they found that in all areas, they ate a lot of legumes, which we really don't eat much of here in Australia. No, so legumes for those that aren't fully up to it are, are pretty much beans and, and exactly. things like that. So, you... so lentils, kidney yep. beans, soybeans, um, you know, your four bean mixes, all those um, beautiful, you know, beans that we don't, or legumes that we don't necessarily have a lot of in our diets. And, and that beautiful bean that you introduced me to, the endami bean. Oh, yes, edamame. Edamame, yeah. is it? There you go. Which is, which is a soybean. So that's that's a whole soybean. That's basically what tofu is made out of. Okay. But um, that soybean is, it's it's great to have, you know, as a snack, or I, I like to throw it into a stir fry. And I think that's where... You know, we can be making small changes like this. You know, we can still have a, a stir fry and have some chicken or some beef in there if we want to, but it's great to also throw in a legume or some tofu or some kind of a, a bean that's, you know, also going to benefit our health and, um, you know, again, is, is a common pattern around these blue zones. One of the biggest issues, I believe, for people in regards to eating well and eating healthy is that i think people have a predisposed idea of the fact that it's going to cost them a lot more money to live if they start eating a healthy life and that's sort of correct to an extent it will cost you a little bit more than going out but when you have a look at the price of fast food nowadays and the like there's probably not that much difference in what people are spending mm. uh, look i absolutely agree but i think too you know, we don't realise that if you eat, I don't know, grab bags of chips or, you know, have lollies or I guess, you know, sugary cereals to fill you up, which might be, you know, seem a little bit cheaper. They're often on half price sales, but certainly they're not going to fill you up. No. So they don't contain much, you know, often protein and fibre and, and they're not very nutrient dense. And often we find that we're, you know, we're going to eat more of them and we're probably going to be hungry 30 to 60 minutes later. So by, you know, purchasing probably in season fruits, vegetables, um, foods, we can obviously lower the cost of, of our grocery shop. But also if those foods are filling us up and it's really sustaining us for, you know, three or four hours, we're not going to need as much of them. So yeah. when we look at the overall picture, if you really look at a weekly shop of a, um, you know, when, when you can put together a, a good meal for, oh, I don't know, a family of four or something really for, you know, not, not a fairly minimal cost um, when it's compared to. I'm a massive believer that you can feed a family of four for seven nights a week for between 10 to $15 a night. Give me a hundred dollars and I will get you a meal for your family every night for seven nights a week. And it's not going to be stuff that the kids are going to say, oh, yuck, are you kidding me? I'm talking about you do a spaghetti bolognese. You've got $1.50 for a packet of spaghetti. You've got $7 for half a kilo of mince, maybe six. Don't buy the three-star because it's crap. 
get something with less fat in it. So let's say six dollars. So there's six, seven dollars fifty. A can of tomatoes is going to cost you sixty-five cents for crushed tomatoes, and a thing of passata if you want to throw that in there as well, all for ten bucks, and you feed a family of four with your parmesan cheese. Done. Exactly. There's one meal. Exactly, and even you know that's where you know even something like lowering the the amount of meat we we consume in that meal by throwing in a tin of lentils which you know will cost you i don't know a dollar fifty for a tin that's going to really stretch that further you've got more fiber it's going to fill you up um, you're not going to consume quite as much meat per serve so you're probably going to even stretch it from six meals to eight meals so you know throw a, a carrot in there a zucchini or it's some exactly, mushroom exactly what i do with my bolognese you've taught me that and it's amazingly great to taste my bolognese consists of onion and garlic to to kick off the the cook and then i cook my uh meat with it but i don't as you said don't use a, a whole lot of meat in it and then i'll throw in carrots mushrooms sometimes i throw in broccoli whatever's around zucchini for sure it's a it's a nice filling meal you get your four veg and meat and pasta and as i said it's cheap yes and that's where you know that's the that's where we all need to be going it it needs to be in that direction of what are small sustainable changes that I can make to a meal? Because, you know, if we think about a spaghetti bolognese, usually it's pasta and it's beef. And like you said, the tin tomato, there's probably not much else going in there. The minute we start balancing that meal and throwing in those beautiful vegetables, maybe some legumes, the meal suddenly we can eat our spaghetti bolognese. We don't have to cut out the pasta or, you know, we don't have to deprive ourselves, but if we balance it correctly with all those beautiful vegetables, suddenly, you know, we've got a really well-balanced diet and, you know, we probably don't need to rely on these fad diets where we're putting in these lifestyle changes that are going to, I guess, make a difference for us in the long term. The other thing about it is, is that these fad diets are normally costing people money to be involved as well. So if they're paying 20 bucks, 25 bucks a month, that money would be so much off, better off spent on buying proper food. Exactly. And that is that is exactly right. We we do. We, we again we're fed these by these marketing companies, um, whether it's a, a pill or a weight loss shake or some kind of a meal plan to follow or you know, things that again we could be investing in making smaller but longer term habits rather than spending our money on things that I guess are probably going to be short term because they're difficult to stick to in the long term. Let's finish off with a couple of recommendations that you might have for our listeners today. And I'm so looking forward to the next few weeks and the topics that we're going to cover because there's so much to talk about here. Oh, me too. Look, I would say, you know, taking something from those blue zones, I would stop and ask you to have a look at your, your whole diet. I do this all the time. I stop, I write down on a piece of paper, everything I've eaten in a day. And I just look at the basics. Have I got my two serves of fruit? Am I eating vegetables at lunch and dinner? Have I got, uh, you know, some protein with breakfast? Have I got protein with all of my meals? You know, am I balancing my diet with, with whole foods? Or am I, you know, finding that I'm in a habit of grabbing too many, you know, processed biscuits or, um, you know, muesli bars or things that are just quick and easy. So I think stopping and having a look at your diet is a great first step because it'll help you identify perhaps habits that you might be in. It might be, you know, snacking after dinner on, you know, comfort foods or whatever the habit is. Yeah. If we can identify even one habit in our diet that we want to work on, and I think it's important not to focus on restricting or focusing on things not to do. So, you know, really we want to focus on positive changes. So, for example... Even if, if it was just one change a month. So if for, oh, if for, for, the, for the next month of what are we, October, let's say for November, if we said to our guys listening at the moment, just focus on getting two pieces of fruit a day in your diet. Absolutely. If we can go back to those basics exactly that pick one or two things to work on 
It might be, I'm not getting any fruit at the moment. Okay, let's start with two pieces of fruit a day. You might look at your diet and go, well, I'm not having any legumes or any fish in my diet. Okay, let's work on having that once a week. Little small changes are going to add up if we can, like you said, kind of uh, make them stick. So if we work on it for a month and then we build on the next thing. So absolutely, if we can work on small changes that, that we know are going to be beneficial for us, that is absolutely the, the best advice I could give. All right, fantastic, Ola. Thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it and really enjoyed our first session together. Look forward, as I said, to the ones to come and uh, we'll catch up with you again soon. That sounds great, Tony. I look forward to speaking to you really soon. Right, and uh, for our listeners, if they want to find out more about you, how can they do that? Well, um, they can jump on my website. So olaluchak.com. Excellent. That's L-U-C-Z-A-K. That's the one. Ola. So uh, get on there and have a look at what Ola's all about. Thank you, Ola, for your time. Today, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk to the CEO and founder of The Mail Hug, Tony Rabber. Hi, it's Josh Frydenberg. It all starts with a conversation. Why? Because tragically, on average, there are eight suicides a day in Australia. And of these, six are men. The Talktober Challenge raises awareness about the importance of men's mental health by encouraging men to make a call to someone different for each day of the month of October to check in, to catch up, or to reconnect. There is no doubt that improved communication is a crucial first step to better mental health. So I encourage you to take up the Talktober Challenge and commit to call a friend every day for the month of October. Head to themailhug.com.au to find out more. And welcome back to the A to Z of Men's Health here on Good Health Radio. Tony Shebecki with you, and I'm joined by the CEO and founder of The Mail Hug, Tony Rabber, who's going to talk to us all about this fantastic men's health organisation, and I'll declare my interest straight from the start is that I actually uh, am the Director of Marketing and Communications with the Mail Hug as well. But it's not the reason we've got Tony on. We've got him on because this is a fantastic initiative that men need to know about. Tony Rubber, good day to you. Good day, Tony. How are you going? I'm fantastic. First of all, let's fill the people in with how the Mail Hug started. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we uh, The Mail Hug uh, officially uh, was was spoken about probably around July last year when uh, you and I had a conversation around what I wanted to do with uh, men's mental health for professional males, uh, more specifically within the accounting uh, taxation industry. And uh, you and I brought in Andrew Conway, the CEO of the IPA, to do a podcast with us. Um, and the, the topic was men's mental health in the profession, accountants, what they have to deal with, you know, dealing with clients and the ATO. And it all pretty much went from there. And, and basically, it's, it's uh, as we, we keep talking about, it's, it's incredibly important that professional males, uh, that demographic uh, is catered for and uh, raising awareness, uh, encouraging them to talk. Uh, in a safe and friendly space and, and, and just to basically just discuss what it is that's going on in their lives that's, that's bothering them. And that's what yeah. I love about what we've done with the male hug is the full focus of the male hug is based on talking. And when we look at it, talking is such an important part of our life that men just still haven't got the, the handle of. When we're sick, we need to talk to a doctor. Blokes still go away and say, oh, yeah, get this pain. I'll leave it for a few days, see how I feel. When we're upset and when we're not happy with what family members we need to talk to them and, and get that over when we when our business is not going well we need to talk to our accountants and our lawyers and those sort of people talking is just such a crucial part of everyday life no oh, absolutely tony and i think uh, you know all the points that you've identified there as far as personal life family business um you know things that are bothering you in general you've got to talk about but i I like to sort of look at it as the uh, the pressure cooker sort of situation where uh, unless you occasionally release that valve or open the lid um, and, and and communicate some stuff, uh, if you if you keep the lid on for too long, it's gonna it's gonna explode, and and that that is that rings true with 
uh, with discussion or discussion uh, discussions around what's going on in your life because uh, it's you know all the professionals that we've spoken to over the journey in, in that uh, mental health space have told us that if you spoke early enough in the piece, then uh, you basically you're doing yourself a big favour in, in in not going down that rabbit hole down the track uh, when when letting things build up and 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 just you know get to you I guess. Talktober was an initiative we came up with and it was a full focus on talking and getting men to talk to to other men one a day that's what we asked people to do during the uh, the month of October and we've turned it into Talktober and mate, I, one thing that I love is the success that Talktober has become there's been so much discussion about it out there through social media and we had so many plans for Talktober before COVID-19 Unfortunately, though, they were all stifled and it's been done all through the internet and through social media and the like, and everyone's just having a great time doing it. Yeah, absolutely, Tony. And, and, and I've got to give you all the, all the credit, buddy, for, uh, for coming up with the Talksover initiative. Uh, I think you and I were sitting down uh, having a chat and then we, uh, you raised the issue of, uh, of or the possibility of a Talktober initiative, a campaign through the month of October where we're basically encouraging men to register uh, participate and, and speak to a buddy or a friend or a family member a day uh, for each of the days of October. And we've had some wonderful support from some, some incredible people that have supported yeah. the campaign by taking the challenge. And um, as you have uh, well and truly coordinated the whole um, production aspect of putting all the videos together, but, um, uh, you know, Josh Frydenberg, Matty Richardson, Andrew Conway from the IPA, Sam Newman, Craig Hutchison, Daryl uh, Braithwaite, Ross, Ross Wilson. Yeah, Ross Wilson. We've had some amazing names that have, have taken the challenge. Dane Swan. Even the WWE champion, Drew yeah, McIntyre, yeah. jumped on board. Yeah, that was huge. That was, uh, that was massive. So we, we, uh, we, we've had some, some wonderful support. Radek Sali uh, also took the Talktober Challenge and, and, and other organisations have, have basically uh, been exposed to the Talktober initiative and, and and it was a good starting point for us and I think uh, we're, we're, we were discussing you know the other day that we're very much looking forward to next year's Talktober uh, as being a bigger version of, of what we've started. The male hug will be a very big part of the A to Z of men's health moving forward here on Good Health Radio and we'll keep pushing the message of uh, talking and the like and what we're finding also Tony is that there's a, an opportunity for businesses as well to get involved with the male hug through the extent that we can probably manage our staff a lot better as well through the, the use of talk? Oh, no doubt. So uh, as you know, what we've got at the moment is our buddy program, which uh, is an extension, I guess, of, of, of that, that raising the awareness and, and encouraging men to talk. But we're also putting together a, a wellness manual around the, the aspects and the benefits of talking and general wellness uh, and, and, and lifestyle. Uh, for men uh, to, to basically, I guess, to, to reflect on, you know, there's other, there's other ways of dealing with pressures of life. And it's about having the time out. It's about talking. It's about exercising and diet and sleep and, and really just connecting. And, and we're uh, reaching out to the corporate sector uh, very soon to basically promote our wellness package and the importance of the buddy program and the, the talking aspect of what we're trying to achieve here. So, uh, it's something very exciting that we're looking to launch um, early in the new year. Talk about the Let's Chat Buddy program because it's a, another amazing initiative by the Male Hug. And what this allows people to do, professional males especially, is if you can't feel that you can discuss your issues with a family or a, or a friend, a, a family member or a friend, we're giving professional males the opportunity to get onto our website, send us an email and just say they'd like to have a chat to someone about something. And then we'll get in touch with those guys and just have a chat and get them, allow them to get stuff off their chest. Yeah, that's correct, Tony. So the, the buddy program, as you well know, um, has been running just incredibly beautifully. Uh, and and, and the, the buddies that we've chosen, they've all been handpicked. Uh, and reviewed by by us internally. Um, obviously, men that are very passionate, um, big-hearted, caring guys that have had some life experiences. Uh, they've gone through you know some training uh, that we've provided them on on how to start a conversation. You know what to say, things to look for, look look for, and the the response from the um, 
you know, from, from the social media world has been incredibly, incredibly yeah. strong. We guys have been reaching out, looking to connect with a buddy. Uh, as you said, they might not be comfortable talking to a friend or a family member or a colleague. So they'll be matched up with a, with a buddy who's, you know, empathetic and, and has been through similar situations. And it's pretty much just to uh, be there for people that want to have a conversation. It's a pretty crowded space, the, the men's mental health area. There's a lot of organisations pushing a lot of different things, which are all fantastic, and everyone's trying to get their voice. And uh, I suppose it's about being niche prepared, and that's where the male hug is all about. Our, our full focus is on talking. Yeah, absolutely, Tone. So we, we, we're, as we've mentioned all along, we're, we're, not, we're not psychologists, we're not experts. Um, we're not playing in that crisis management space. Um, you know, other organisations like Beyond Blue and Lifeline do a great job in that area. We are uh, predominantly playing in the preventative space where our demographic, which is that professional male from 25 to 65 years of age, we're raising the awareness, we're encouraging them to talk and discuss what's going on in their life. And we, we feel that if, if men start talking early enough, and it's not just our thoughts, but the experts People like Professor Pat McGorry, who's been a great supporter of ours. Um, Aidan Burrell, who's one of our board members and uh, part of the Alfred team of the ICU at the Alfred. Meredith Dalton from Lifeline and others. Uh, Delmont Private Hospital, uh, the, the, the team there have been fantastic. And they've all pretty much said the same thing, that you know, men talking early uh, has some really long-term positive effects you know, down the track. Yeah, exactly. And we know that mental health could affect so many other areas of health as well. I mean, we've, we've seen fit blokes who all of a sudden just start, their, their mind starts to turn on them for whatever reason it might be. And all of a sudden they're, you know, putting on 20, 30 kilos, they're drinking more, they're eating more. Mental health is so important in our whole well-being. Yeah, and what, what we've learned, Tony, as an organisation and, and as, as, as guys that have basically lived through uh, many of the things that you know people are living through right now is that uh, talking uh, matched with uh, diet, exercise, meditation, uh, you know, connection is is a strong. Uh, I suppose it's a it's, it's a good lifestyle for a uh, for a better better quality of life moving forward. Most guys that tend to not talk about what's going on in their, on the, in their lives. They tend to sweep things under the carpet. Um, tend to probably drink, eat poorly, don't exercise sleep little, and then the, the effects are, are well and truly manifested, uh, you know, down the track. So what we're saying is keep your eye out for the mail hug, folks. Uh, Talktober might be over and done with now. October's coming to an end. Uh, we're just saying get on the website, themailhug.com.au, and see what the mail hug has to offer and how it might be able to support you in some sort of way. Tony, thanks for your time Really appreciate it. And we look forward to pushing the male hugs uh, message throughout our programs and, and getting in touch with some of the great people that are involved with the male hug and talking about talking. Thanks, Tony. It's been great. Uh, it's been great talking with you, mate. And it's, it's great having you as part of our team. And uh, we've got some very exciting things uh, uh, down the track for, for the male hug. So uh, look out. Tony Rabat, the CEO and founder of The Mile Hug, joining us here on the A to Z of Men's Health. That's the end of our program for this week. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to catching you with more topics on men's health next week right here on Good Health Radio.